Hey, very special podcast. Great podcast. And you kind of see us shimmy apart. If you listen to the whole thing, uh, you'll see us kind of shimmy apart there towards the end on the special Restoring Hope uh, tonight at 8 o'clock. Don't miss that. Watch it with your family. And if it's already passed when you're grabbing this podcast, make sure you go to Blaze.com or my YouTube channel and watch it. Uh, It's really an important broadcast uh, tonight. Also, we've got a lot of great guests on with us. We've got, we're loaded with history. And of course, I mean, I, yeah, I took her on the governor of South Dakota for her white supremacy celebration called (laughs) conveniently disguised as a 4th of July celebration there at Mount Rushmore. Boy, oh boy. Her white privilege is just on display like nobody's business. Don't miss a second of today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. So here we are at the Standing Rock Ranch, a place that has been very, very private uh, for me and my family, um, we we don't have guests here. We um, we just kind of I don't know wrap ourselves in the blanket of this giant mountain and its fingers, and we tune everything out. And it's a it's a sacred place. We were going to do restoring the covenant in Gettysburg and then COVID happened. And, you know, God forbid we have more than three people together. So we couldn't go to Gettysburg. And I was haunted because I knew that the covenant was something that had to be done. And I couldn't sleep at night. I, I, I didn't know what to do. How am I going to do a restoring event? And then I came up here to the ranch And I walked the land, and it didn't take me very long to skip my vacation and start working on this project. And it airs tonight at 8 o'clock. Please keep our producers and everything uh, in your prayers. It is uh, There has been miracle after miracle after miracle of putting this together. I mean, I will tell you probably next week the miracles that have happened. But we need the biggest one uh, yet. Um, It'll be a miracle. It'll restore my hope when it actually makes it on the air. Because we're in the middle of nowhere. But tonight, I urge you to watch this with your family. To call everyone you know that believes in God at all. And have them watch. And then have them act. I urge you, I urge you, if you feel as though you have lost hope, which I completely understand, to watch this tonight. It will be on the Glenbeck YouTube page. It will also be on Blaze TV. I think we're putting it up on my Facebook page as well. And it comes from a place of despair. It really does. I mean, in in just the last few months, everything has become very clear, hasn't it? I mean, just the press. The press has gone from a different opinion 
to, gosh, they seem to be in the bag for a political party, to now a co-conspirator in what I think is going to be remembered by future generations as the biggest robbery in the history of mankind, the destruction of American principles, the theft of American rights and our Constitution, the destruction, intentional destruction of the greatest economy in the history of our nation. And what's worse is the theft of hope. You know, I've talked about these days for almost 20 years now, and I was insane every step of the way. I was, I was called all kinds of names, you know, because I introduced you to the real roots of progressivism and that I talked to you about Woodrow Wilson. No, oh, I still hate that guy. Even today, the New York Times is still trying to defend him, but they can't in this new woke culture. We exposed Acorn in the Tides Foundation and George Soros and the money, the money printing that we said that they would do. We told you they would print money, we would buy our own loans, and in the end it would be the destruction of the dollar. I was crazy every step of the way. We introduced you to... The communist plan from the 1940s to flip a country from capitalist free to authoritarian without a shot being fired. We introduce you to the madness and the evil of the climate fear mongering just to control your life and to keep those in poverty impoverished. I'm proud to say I think we were some of the first to be called racists because we dared call the president a Marxist and that he was encouraging the radical left, which was very different than liberals. We told you about all of these things, and we told you that their their goal was to reshape the world closer to their heart's desire. And they were moving the entire world. And we also told you that because, because they couldn't bring the rest of the world to American standards, they would drag us all down to the standards of Mexico. We exposed Cloward and Piven, the communist plan, and you knew it was true. And the left, we have done some calculations, and we figure it's taken about $100 million dollars in free advertising or or research or whatever they might have said it took about a hundred million dollars to destroy my reputation but in doing so they perfected a machine that they're now using on everybody on everybody the reason why there's no courage is because they have trained you to fear the mob they have trained you to believe that they could smear you, mob justice would come for you, lies, deceit, intimidation. They perfected that machine, and it's working well. All the while, we scared the living daylights out of them. When we stood together, over half a million of us, I was told it's the largest crowd called by a private citizen in U.S. history. And we came. All of us, not really knowing why, even me, one August day, hot, humid in Washington, D.C., to restore honor. And if you were there, you'll remember how it felt. 
Then in Jerusalem, restoring courage. In Dallas, huge day of service. Nearly 60,000 Americans came to paint and to clean and to help and to, to build, to serve the community of Dallas. And in the end, there were no projects. We, we kept calling people saying, we have more people to volunteer. Do you have any space for volunteers? They didn't. But we all worked side by side with our children. We gathered together and we did something else that had never been done. The first sold out spoken word event in Cowboy Stadium. They said we were nuts for doing it. But do you remember how that felt? Do you remember in Birmingham restoring unity where we started the Nazarene Fund, which is now the leader in rescuing of Christian and Yazidi slaves in the Middle East? Saving and moving tens of thousands of Christians to new homes all around the world when the entire world said, no, it can't be done. We've gone through a lot together. But now I watch TV and I look at things and I think. What is coming next? In some ways, we've been here before. In the 1980s, Reagan. Reagan won with a simple message that America was dying to hear. It's morning in America. We had been talked down. We had been ripped apart. We had endured corruption, a war in Vietnam, assassinations of a president, his brother, MLK, Malcolm X. Our streets had been torn apart. Our institutions were torn apart. National Guard in the streets. Then gasoline and heating oil prices shot through the roof. Unemployment at an all-time high since the end of World War II. And we had what they called stagnation. Americans were held hostage by terrorists in a country few of us even understood. And our military had been humiliated in the desert sands. And it all felt over. Then in 1980, enough Democrats and Republicans came together to elect a new leader who was optimistic. He was confident without arrogance, who actually still believed in this country. He told us that this American sunset that we thought we all saw was something that was caused by politics, politicians, those in Washington who wished to control us. But most of all, our biggest problem is that we had begun to believe the lies that America was a force for evil in the world. Yes, there were some, there were some common sense things that had to be changed. But as our belief in the founding principles were restored, we could come together and fix it. And against all odds, when the entire world counted us out, the American people pulled off a miracle. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow, up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! It all began on the ice against the Russians and ended with the fall of the Berlin Wall. Then in China, Tiananmen Square. And Bill Clinton even said, the era of big government is over. And we felt as though our biggest fears were behind us. And that was our problem. 
because what we didn't know at the time was the fact that the very election of Ronald Reagan so frightened those who sought out power and rule that they set a new course. The birth of the new left, one that could control the media, corporations, education, and methodically build what we now know as the deep state. We failed to listen to the patriots like Eisenhower and Reagan. Eisenhower, the first to warn us of not just a military-industrial complex, but an educational-industrial complex. Those in science and higher learning who would now be partnering with those in government to conduct studies to feed the population what those in power would pay them to feed. And Reagan's last farewell address, he warned us. The resurgence of national pride that I called the new patriotism. This national feeling is good, but it won't count for much. And it won't last unless it's grounded in thoughtfulness and knowledge. And informed we failed to educate our children. He warned us we would see a new generation that would not know who America was nor could defend her. We didn't listen. And now we ask, is it still morning in America or is it a setting sun? There has been a conspiracy to overthrow this nation. It's an insidious infestation of Marxism on all of our trusted institutions. But I have told you for almost 20 years that you will be the audience that saves this nation. And I still believe that. But now, we're all called to do something that I keep telling myself is impossible, but I know it's not. We need to not go over the cliff with the rest of humanity. What we need to do now is just remember the difference between right and wrong. We need to remember and stand up for what is true and right and righteous. We need to simply remember the difference between social justice and real justice. We need to stand for our God, for our religion, our freedom, our peace, for our wives, our husbands, and our children. Tonight, I'm going to ask you to do three things, and they'll sound simple because they are, but they will be hard to actually do. But I believe if we don't do these things, which all start with an American covenant, we will be swept off this land. The distant voice of the Mayflower cries out to us. The words of Washington call us back to a life of merit. And the final acts of Abraham Lincoln will lead our nation back to the promise of hope. Tonight, Blaze TV. The best of the Glenn Beck program. So last night on Blaze TV, I... I tried to lay out the case on what is really happening with the 1619 Project. Now, a lot of people just think, oh, well, that's a podcast. No, it's a podcast. Random House is about to uh, release a series of books uh, based on this, I believe, evil and intentional destruction of our history. Um, and it's all put together by the New York Times, Random House, uh, Brought to you again by George Soros funding. Um, and uh, it's its reach is incredible. It is now being taught in all 50 states in thousands and thousands of schools all across the country. It most likely is in your neighborhood school. 
You must mobilize and stop this. It cannot be part of our school. It is an intentional distortion and lies, out and out lies. I'm not saying that. We have experts of history, both liberal and uh, and conservative, both black and white, that are saying this is fictional. This is not even real. 1619 Project has decided that the, the, the leader has come out and said, well, we, we didn't mean it to be history. This is journalism. So are you saying journalists lie and make up facts? I, I mean, I don't even know what the New York Times is even doing. But it is very well funded. And up until recently, I didn't think there was a counter to this attack. But as always, you know, we don't know the mind of God. And he is calling people into positions all over the world. And I think we're going to see miracles. And one of those miracles is a man who is really born for these times. His name is Bob Woodson. He is the um, founder and president of the Woodson Center. We've had him on a couple of times here recently, um, but I wanted to talk to him today. He's part of our Restoring uh, Hope broadcast uh, today, uh, tonight at 8 p.m. But he was also on the 1619 Project episode for a few minutes last night because he started the counter 1776unites.com. Welcome to the program, Bob. How are you? Pleased to be here, Glenn, and glad to be with you again. So, Bob, tell the American people exactly what the 1619 Project is. As I was looking into it and as we did our research on it, I was shocked at how well-financed, how well-organized, and how deeply embedded now in the system it already has become. Yeah, well, well what the, the left has done... Uh, is they have used the legacy of the civil rights movement and, uh, and also the America, America's birth defect of slavery. And they have used it to define America as incurably racist. So she is, uh, 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 Jones has assembled a group of journalists and not even researchers, and they have come together to reframe the birthday of America as being 1619 when 20 African slaves arrived on our shore and not 1776. And her contention is that because some of the signers of the, of the, of the Declaration of Independence were slave owners, uh, therefore it's, they're, they're, it was written with, by people who, who were hypocrites, and therefore the documents that they penned is also flawed and so, essentially, uh, they are using the black experience uh, and the rich legacy of the civil rights movement as a framework to really demean this country and pro- proclaim it as being irretrievably racist and that, in essence, all white people are, uh, are, are victimizers and all black people are victims and if something is in your DNA, it cannot be changed. And that's the, the message that's being communicated. And since the message is they're using the black community as the messenger, the bludgeon, to try to destroy this country, we thought the messengers on the other side should be led by blacks, sort of like the Civil Rights Coalition, led by blacks, but participated in by all. And so we've assembled a, a, a lot of scholars, but also activists 
And we're offering not a counter debate, but a counter narrative to uh, challenge what they're doing. And it is important for us to not make this some intellectual jousting contest, but we've brought Mm -hmm. grassroots leaders whose lives uh, embody the implementation of the principles of our founders, because some of them were were drug addicts, some of them were predators, but through God's grace, they were redeemed. And so, um, so um, in essence, 1776 that we put together is starts with sin because America is founded on the whole notion of redemption. Uh, but the left defines it uh, by sin, the left. And so what they're looking for is some cheap shortcut to redemption and destroy everything that is not pure. And so that's why they want to destroy the monuments, they, they, they want to define America by its birth defect, not by its promise. 1776, by contrast, uh, defines America by its promise. And the reason they're going after the uh, Lincoln uh, Emancipation Statute is because when you're trying to destroy the truth, the first thing you do is to destroy evidence of the truth. And so... That's why they're targeting these statues, and it has nothing to do with racial justice, because they even deface the statue of Frederick Douglass. And, and there is so- a um, there is a an article in the Guardian in 2016, where they're talking about China, uh, the communist government in China, and I just want to quote from this. Uh, efforts to commemorate the past are often misleading or so fragmentary as to be meaningless. Almost all of the plaques at historic sites in China, for example, tell either partial histories or outright lies. The Communist Party does not just suppress history. It recreates it to serve the present. That is exactly what is happening here. Exactly. It it, it really is happening here. And that's why it is important for us to push back um, against it. And we are gaining a lot of momentum. In other words, uh, it's so insidious that the most popular book in Amazon in the socialist section is Communism for Kids. So they're starting in the the grades. Therefore, we are mounting uh, an offensive against this by we're developing curriculum so, so that parents and teachers and others will have something competitive. We're also... Uh, beginning to develop uh, histories, they, for instance, their their whole claim to the black community is that the problems of out of wedlock births and and the crime and violence that you're seeing is a legacy of slavery and discrimination. Well, we're debunking that by uh, pre- presenting evidence that even at the end of slavery in 1865, 75 percent of all black families according to the records of six major plantations, had a man and a woman raising children. And as Thomas Sowell in his writing documents, that for the next hundred years, the black family in our Christian faith uh, and our entrepreneurial spirit caused us to thrive and to achieve in the midst of oppressive circumstances. Uh, and so we, are, we are, are, are demonstrating this. We are going to be educating people that America is defined by its promise and not by its birth defect. Because the Bob Woodson. Uh, Bob Woodson uh, is... I, 
It is a religion, Bob. What is going on right now is a perverted, evil religion. Uh, and it is controlled by Marxist, and it is funded by really, really wealthy people who think the destruction of America will uh, play into their hands. But I, I, I warn you, you cannot open a can of evil uh, without it coming to uh, get you in the end. Uh, Bob is running 1776 Unites. You will see a little bit more from him as uh, I bring him into uh, the cabin here at the uh, Standing Rock Ranch from the 1800s. And we talk a little bit about what needs to be done and the future. If you there are a few things that I'm going to ask you to do tonight, um, but one of them is to support organizations that actually make a difference. Uh, and one of those organizations is 1776unites.com. Bob, you and I are on the same page on one thing. We both firmly believe that the answer is going, we're going to be saved or lost, but I believe saved by the African American community because of their connection to God and enough is enough there will be people that will stand and come to the rescue of this nation that understands what really is at stake and how they're being used and bob i think you're a big part of that solution so thank you for being on the program if you want to donate go to 1776unites.com that's with an s 1776unites.com This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. Rand Paul is joining us now. He is trying again to make it harder for police to take your stuff. It's a civil asset forfeiture. He's got a bill that he's reintroducing as you know police reform uh, uh, hits, and this would be a really good reform. Rand Paul, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, Glenn. You know, it's a pretty radical notion. We have this idea, I don't know where we <laughs> thought of it, that you should be innocent until proven guilty, that the government oh, should it's... not take your stuff unless they convict you of mm. a crime. And uh, But it's been going on a long time. This civil asset forfeiture, we have stories of, like, a young man leaving Boston, driving to California, and his dad gives him $1,000 to set up shop in California and try to find his way. Somewhere along the road in Nevada or somewhere, he gets stopped in a little town by a trooper who says, do you have any money? And he says, yeah, I got a 1000 bucks my dad gave me. He says, well, prove to us that it's not a drug money. And they said, well, I don't know. It's just $1,000 in cash. And so the policeman then says, well... If you sign this agreement not to sue us, we'll give you 500 back now, and you can be on your way with 500 bucks. It's sort of highway robbery. It's amazing that this went on, and uh, Institute for Justice and other good groups have looked into this, and it's, uh, I don't know, just amazing that we would allow people to take money from somebody without a conviction, without a charge, and then guess where the money goes? The money goes to buying cars and television sets for the police who took the money. They get to keep the money and spend it at the, at the police house. That is actually high, highway robbery. Um, I mean, there's no other way to describe this. I, this first came to me uh, probably in the 80s or 90s, maybe. And I remember hearing a story of somebody 
who I think the IRS said, uh, you know, where's all this cash? Uh, you know, we think that you're you're laundering money here or whatever. And they didn't. And they lost their business, never got their money back. The, the case was never proven. It was flimsy to begin with. And there was nothing they could do. That was the first time I heard about it. And now I'm hearing more and more about situations just as you described. And well, here's, it is an, here's another one. Yeah, here's another one. People had a hotel fully paid for, and they found that the police were looking for hotels that didn't have mortgages. So they found this hotel, was completely paid off, the guy that inherited it from his grandparents, and they said, well, we have identified some of your rooms being used by people who are selling drugs. And they said, well, we absolutely don't countenance that. We have rules against it. We'll do anything we can to prevent this from happening. And they identified like eight rooms and eight people over a 10-year period. It was just, you know, any hotel on the side of the road is going to have problems with this. But what they did is they took, they tried to take the entire hotel from the family, the entire hotel, because one, it was paid off, and two, they came up with this charge that because drug dealers had had used some of the rooms that the hotel people were uh, somehow responsible. Institute for Justice, I believe, defended them. They actually won the case. But, you know, probably without the Institute for Justice's help, it would have been probably hundreds of thousand dollars in legal fee just to try to protect the government from taking your business. So how did we start here? How did we get here, Rand? How did, how did that, how did well, that happen? Think, and it had been happening for so well long. In- it's well-intentioned people who think drugs are a scourge, and I don't disagree. I mean, I don't want our kids on drugs. I think drugs are terrible, illegal drugs, and I think we should could, should preach against that and persuade against that. But what we allowed is too much power to gravitate to the government on this. It's also part of what we have with some of the racial disparity. I don't think our country is consumed with racism. I don't think our cons- country is consumed with prejudice. I think we actually have less of it than we have had for a long time. Many of us are uh, the are in many ways so much better than it was 50 years ago or 40 years ago. But Mm -hmm. the laws have allowed a disparate amount of black individuals to be caught in the war on drugs, civil asset forfeiture, not really because of racism, but because there is more crime in poorer areas in our cities, and the police patrol there more often because they're trying to stop crime. And so what happens is the, the white kid in the basement in the suburbs never gets caught with drugs, even though he may have them, but the black or the poor kid gets caught more often. And so our jails are, are disproportionately full of young black men and some of it is is unfair because of the war on drugs and that's why we need to approach this more as not of a racism issue but more of an issue of how have we approached the war on drugs and has it been unfair to some people so rand uh, let me switch topics here with you for just a second and and ask you because i know the one thing that i can count on with rand paul um and just a handful of you guys is that you won't violate the Constitution for security. And I am really concerned because it is absolute lawlessness, lawlessness, and surprisingly happening with mainly Democratic uh, mayors and governors. And they are, I mean, the job of the government is to protect its citizens from lawlessness. And they're not doing it locally. I don't want the top to come down uh, and and be a hard ass on it. But we we have to have an end to this lawlessness. How can we do it 
um, without violating the Constitution or giving any kind of new powers that we don't want to give to the state? I think the main thing is you've hit the nail on the head. We shouldn't back down and we shouldn't just sort of uh, acquiesce to people and mobs taking over our cities. But we have to be very loud and we have to loudly proclaim that not one major city or very few major cities in our countries have had a Republican mayor in the last 50 years. Louisville is the main city in Kentucky. We haven't had a Republican mayor since 1972. And we've got some problems there. But if there are complaints about the police force and complaints and needs for reform, they need to understand that the Democrats did this. The Democrats have run our cities, our major cities, for 50 years. And the one thing I would point out, and I think it's too simplistic to make this all about racism, is that, you know, Chicago, a third of the police force is African-American. Most of the police chiefs have been African-American. Most of the mayors have been African-American over the last 50 years. It, It isn't about just about racism. It's about fixing problems. But they're all Democrats. So how how people get away with blaming Republicans in Washington for this, these are mostly local problems. Even President Obama, when he wrote about this, said that ultimately local officials in Minneapolis are going to have to fix this. And in Minneapolis, there hadn't been a Republican mayor since 1972 also. So I don't know. Blame needs to attach where it attaches. But most law enforcement are local issues. And Democrats need to be self-examining and asking themselves, why have we been electing Democrats? Look, Eric Garner, I spoke out about Eric Garner being choked to death uh, five years ago, six years ago, and it was terrible. It It was about the same as a George Floyd thing. And de Blasio never fired him. Finally, de Blasio runs for president in this sort of bizarre halfway run for president, and then he finally fired him. But it took him five years. The other thing we need to acknowledge is the unions get bad cops reinstated. Most cops are good people, 99% of it, and we cannot lose sight of that. But in Minneapolis, over like the last eight years, there have been six really bad cops who were fired. Uh, one of them broke some guy's nose while the guy was in handcuff. That kind of stuff can't be tolerated, and even the police will tell you that. But then he got reinstated by the union. And so the unions are responsible for covering this up, but not one Democrat will mention that. You hear them doing all their fake crocodile tears all over the Senate floor, but not one of them will admit to you that, yes, the union protects bad cops. Is there anything that the Republicans uh, can do and should be doing? I mean, I feel like they're just it's it's a waste. The Republicans are a waste right now. I think Americans feel as though there is an insurrection that is happening. This is a very well-funded, laid-out Marxist attack uh, on our institutions and on our history, on on all of it. Uh, and nobody is willing to call this an insurrection. I mean, they are calling for the destruction of the United States of America and capitalism. Isn't there anything you know, constitutionally that this well, applies I, I to? There, I think there is pushback, and I think there is a growing silent and maybe less than silent majority out there. You know, you look at the poor people in Seattle, they are pushing back. Mm-hmm. They are saying, my goodness. But Seattle has elected a socialist to the to the uh, city council out there. Their mayor says, oh, this isn't an insurrection. This is a city of love, and these are acts of love as people are being shot in this autonomous zone. So yes, there has to be pushback, and I think we always look to Washington for it, but really we got to take back our cities, and we need to point out to yes, everybody in the city... You know, Seattle has lost 
think of it, they've lost all of the cruise industry. They had a million people coming through there every year on the cruise mm-hmm. industry. Now, that was some due to the virus, but they also had conventions. Big city, Seattle's a beautiful city, and people like having conventions. You know, the climate's cool and mild in the summertime. Guess what? Nobody's going to come to a city that has an autonomous zone with people shooting each other nope. and idiots running around uh, saying no police and defund the police. So the cities are going to have, but people need to run for office there, and they need to say the Democrats aren't. If a Republican can't win, run as an independent and say you're going to fix the things the Democrats have screwed up for 50 years. Rand Paul, thank you so much. Uh, Rand Paul, Senator from Kentucky. Uh, Keep up the good work and please uh, stay on guard with the Constitution. Uh, Paul.Senate.gov.